Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, my friends. I'm so happy to be connecting with you this week on Breast Cancer Conversations. I'm your host, Laura Carfing, and if you're joining us for the first time, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and receive notifications each time we come out with a new episode. To all of you who tune in every week, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. Today we speak with Caitlin Edmonds. She joins us from the West Coast, just south of San Francisco. We talk about so many topics, specifically her journey. I asked her that tough question of reliving the day she found out she had breast cancer. So for those of you who are listening and kind of curious what happens once you hear those terrible words, you have breast cancer, this is kind of what you can expect. Um, you know, I think depending on your diagnosis, you could either have chemotherapy prior to surgery or after surgery if you are a candidate for chemotherapy. And in this case, uh, Caitlin did have neoadjuvant chemotherapy, which means that she had chemotherapy prior to surgery. She is a triple negative breast cancer thriver and also experienced um, and chose to have fertility treatment done so that she could preserve, it's probably not even the correct term, but she decided to have her eggs harvested and preserved. So I think this is a great episode because we haven't yet talked about that topic and she gives really great insight into what that process is like and what someone can expect if they do decide to harvest their eggs prior to starting chemotherapy. I did break this podcast up into two episodes, so this is part one. Part two will be coming out on Thursday, where Caitlin gives even more advice and her experience using cold caps. So, thanks for tuning in today, and welcome to the conversation. Welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations. I'm so glad that you are available to share your experience with breast cancer and provide hope and inspiration to all of our listeners. I know our Surviving Breast Cancer community has um, a little bit of information about you because you submitted one of your stories to us and it went out in our newsletter, which was awesome. Not one breast cancer diagnosis is the same. We all make very different decisions when it comes to our own diagnoses and you know whether we're going to have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy, if we're going to take active treatment, or perhaps I've spoken with some women also who have decided against chemotherapy and go more of a holistic route. So there's so many like just great topics in this community and I love being able to share that. So yeah, I'm so glad to have you on Breast Cancer Conversations today. My name is Caitlin Edmonds and I'm from the Bay Area um, in California, San Jose, um, which is big city. I feel like a lot of people have not heard of it, but we're close to San Francisco. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And I wish I knew this earlier because I was in San Francisco two or three times this past year, and I don't know why our paths did not cross, but um, next time I'm in the area, I'll definitely come by. Yes, absolutely. That'd be great. Take me to like the very beginning of like when you found out that you had breast cancer. Sorry to make you Um, live such like a traumatic experience. (laughs) That's okay. Um, Yes, it was actually um, last January uh, 2018 that I was laying in bed. I do self-checks. Um, I actually have a friend who was younger than me who was diagnosed. So ever since her, I feel like I've, you know, tried to kind of do the monthly thing. I wasn't super, you know, strict on it. I just kind of tried to do it and I remembered. Um, but I actually was just laying in bed and kind of like just scratching my chest, not even really paying too much attention. And I kind of felt something and I was like, that's weird. You know, felt a little bit more. And I was like, that's definitely not normal. Um, you know, and I, for 
10 minutes freaked out completely. And then I pretty quickly actually like talked myself off the ledge. I was like, there's no way I'm 30 years old. I have no family history. Like I just pretty much, I'm a pretty rational person. So I was like, you're not going to like spiral off this, like let it go. It's nothing. Um, I was like, happened to be on my period at the time. I thought it was maybe something hormonal. Um, I actually text one of my good friends. Um, and she's like, I don't know, like she's had kids. So she's like, I have weird stuff like that all the time and I wouldn't worry about it. And so I was like, okay, not big deal. I'm just gonna, you know, let it be. And then maybe two or three weeks went by and it wasn't changing. And I was like, I don't know, this just doesn't seem like something I should ignore. Um, and so I ended up getting an appointment just with my OB and um, going to see him. And he, you know, obviously confirmed, yes, there's something there. Um, but was like, not concerned. He's like, you're so young. It's probably like a cyst or something that he's like, it's probably gonna be pain. You might have to get it drained, but you know, don't stress on it. And he said, but to be safe, I do want you to get into a specialist pretty quickly, um, just to make sure. And so that was on like a Thursday. He ended up actually getting me appointment for the first thing the next morning, um, over at like the breast care center. Um, so they did an ultrasound and I feel like two seconds into that, I was like, oh, this is not going well. <laughs> Um, she pretty quickly like went from where it was like on my chest over to my armpit and then went back and she's like, I'm going to get the doctor. And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. So came in and they were like, yeah, there's definitely something there. You know, it looks a little concerning. Um, I'm going to have you do a mammogram right now. And I was like, okay. Um, went over and did a mammogram and then they had me sit and wait for the results of that. And then came back out and got me and they're like, uh, we're going to do a biopsy. I was like, okay. And at this point, I mean, I hadn't told, I mean, my roommate who's one of my best friends, she knew I was there, but I didn't tell any, I thought it was again, a cyst. I was going to get drained. I wasn't worried about it. Um, so I was like, well, I'm getting a biopsy. Maybe I should like say something. And I was like, all right, well, when do I need to come back to the biopsy? Like, when can I get that appointment scheduled? And they're like, no, we're gonna do that right now. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I called my mom, you know, explained what's happening. And she of course rushed down. She wanted to be there. And I was like, I'm fine. I don't need you to come. But she's like, no, I want to be there. Um, and so, so she did didn't even know Sorry to interrupt. So your mom didn't even know that you were going to like get a mammogram or ultrasound or anything. So she's like, you know, I was going to the OB. Like I didn't, I, cause again, I thought it was like no big deal. Right. Um, and so she's like, I was like, I'm at Kaiser and I'm doing, you know, this, and I was like, they just seem a little concerned. And she's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to come down there. So she came and met me. Um, and they did a biopsy on um, the mass, I guess is what they were calling it at that point, which mm -hmm. was kind of on the top of my like left chest. And then they did, um, one on um, an enlarged lymph node as well. Um, so two biopsies and I pretty much sat up from the biopsy and the doctor was like, you know, I can't say anything at this point, but she said, I just want you to know that I'm very concerned and I would be prepared for a phone call in a few days. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. Which at the time I remember being like really angry that she said that and did that because I feel like those four days were like awful. Um, but looking back now, I'm really glad she did because I feel like I would have been like just floored with the diagnosis, which obviously it's still scary and shocking, but mm -hmm. it did help me prepare a little bit better, I think. Sure. And I would have been more scared and anxious, I think, if, I don't know, I just, I'm glad at least I had a few days to kind of come to terms with the possibility that this was happening. Sure. Um, so in those four days, like do you Google everything or was your mind racing or did you try to stay away from Google? I mean, I didn't Google a ton. I feel like I was kind of in shock. Um, I left, that was a Friday morning. I left the appointment. Um, again, my one of my best friends, my roommate, she ended up leaving work and coming home. And then we were kind of like, what do we do? And she's like, let's just go get out of here. Like, let's do. So we drove over um, to Santa Cruz um, beach town nearby 
Um, so we drove over there, we went and got ice cream and just kind of walked around and like, just let it be for a minute. Um, we actually had dinner plans with friends that night and I debated like, should I cancel? Should I, you know, not? And I was like, no, I want to go. I don't want to sit at home and freak out. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, involved a couple friends, let them know what's happening. And then, yeah, I didn't Google a ton because I just, I don't know. I just thought I'll just wait and see. Right. Um, but I was, I will say those four days, I feel like were the worst part. Like, I feel like once, even though I got the diagnosis, I still felt worse waiting than I did after. Yes. Uh, I don't know why, but, and I feel like everyone around me was like convinced, like, you know, it's not going to be that it's going to be fine. Don't worry. And in my mind, I just felt like I saw that doctor when she talked to me and I was like, no, like, it's not going to be, I mean, in big picture, yes, it'll probably end up being fine. But I was like, I'm very, was, I was prepared for them to call and say what they did. Um, so I was actually in Colorado when they called me, um, which was Tuesday. It was, it was pretty quick. So I had the biopsy on Friday. They called me on Tuesday. Um, my sister, my younger sister was getting married last year. Um, so she lives in Colorado. And so I work in wedding planning and events. Um, yeah. So my boss and I actually had flown out for the day to go visit my sister and my mom and plan wedding stuff and look at the venue and everything. So we were driving around doing wedding planning stuff when they called. Um, so it's kind of weird too, that it worked out that I just, I don't see my sister all the time because we don't live together. And I was glad in a way that I was there with her and my mom when they called. Um, so that was good. But um, yes, they called me on Tuesday and pretty much just said, you know, we got your results back. And unfortunately, like, sorry to tell you that it tested positive for breast cancer. I don't really remember a ton after that. Lots of talking and we're going to get you in and set you up with the first round of appointments. And I feel like I just kind of was like, heard it and was like, all right. And I, I remember saying, I was like, you're going to email me all this, right? Like, I don't right. really remember <laughs> what you just told me. And she's like, yeah, I'll send you a confirmation of your appointment and everything. And I was like, okay, great. And what at that time too, so like you're with your mom and your sister and you just found out you had breast cancer. What were your, like, what was their reaction to this? Yeah. Um, it was weird. I feel like that's for sure one of my like most vivid memories. Um, I was actually sitting in the backseat. We were driving and my boss was next to me who my boss is one of my really good friends as well. So, um, and she knew that I was waiting for this. So I kind of just instinctively, like as soon as they said it, I just kind of grabbed her hand and she knew, and she was kind of like, you know, I think we need to pull over. Um, so we got out of the car and my mom and my sister got out. And I remember my first like immediate reaction was I felt like so guilty that I was like telling them this. And I've like described this to people. And a lot of people are like, that's so ridiculous. Like, how could you feel that? I'm like, I don't know. That's just, just, hundred percent. That's how I felt. Like in my mind, I felt like I can handle this. It'll be okay. But I know that my mom is going to like lose her mind right now. And I just, you know, it's not my fault, but I still felt bad that I was like putting them through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got out of the car and I told, I, the first thing I said was I'm going to be okay, but I'm like really, really sorry. And I never even told them. I don't think, I don't even think I ever said the words like, mm-hmm. Oh, I have cancer. I just think everyone knew. And we all just kind of like stood on the side of the road crying. Oh my um, God. And then I, we kind of stopped and I was like, okay, hey, I need to call like, I like a couple group of really, really close girlfriends. And I was like, I need to call them. Like I need to talk to someone. And so my mom actually called my dad and then I called a couple friends. Um, and I feel like we all just kind of stood there like crying and upset. And we we're like, mm-hmm. Hey, what do we do now? We're like standing on the side of the freeway in Colorado. And so we were on our way to dinner and we're like, let's go home. Let's go to my sister's house. Um, so we went to her house and we sat there for like 10 minutes and I was like, there's a little Mexican restaurant around the corner for my sisters. And I was like, I need a margarita. Like, let's Absolutely. get out of here. <laughs> and so we went and 
I don't think anyone really ate, but we all ordered food and got a drink and kind of just sat there and took different phone calls as people kind of were finding out and then I flew home. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny you mentioned like going out to dinner and even if like no one like ate or drank, you're like, I want some sort of normalcy, right? Like this is what we're supposed to do. People go out for dinner, like it's dinner time, like let's be normal, right? Yeah. In light of like all of this. In the house, like being sat, like it was just, I was like, I need to like get out of the house. Like mm-hmm. I need, <laughs> oh my need to be around other people. <laughs> and especially when you don't have so much information, right? Like you're not reading your pathology and you don't know what stage you are. And so there's still so many unknowns. So while there was that four day of waiting that is like the worst, I totally agree with you. I hate the waiting period. The anxiety is like through the roof. And, and then now, okay, so it's like confirmed, but you still don't have a lot of answers or, you know, for for my experience also, like, I didn't even know what the path was, right? Like, you know, you hear about chemotherapy or you hear about surgery. Like I, when I heard the word breast cancer, I'm just like, okay, like, I, I don't know if I was naive or just in yeah. shock I was just like okay I just don't know what that means when I kind of thought it would be like the movies like okay I'm gonna go to this appointment and they're gonna sit me down and tell me like my stage and tell me exactly what's happening and what I'm doing and where we're going from here and then I went to that first appointment and I was like oh so you don't really like know that much <laughs> like I just thought it was like everyone ha- I didn't I had no idea there was even different kinds of breast cancer I didn't I just thought it was black or white here's your stage moving on Mm -hmm. and they didn't even tell me my stage really at my first appointment um because I mean they told me what their guess was but my so I had an enlarged lymph node that they tested and it came back negative but given all my imaging they're assuming it was positive and we just got like a piece that wasn't positive or whatever so they kind of were like on the fence about giving me a stage because they're like we don't know if there's lymph nodes involved um, because imaging isn't conclusive, mm-hmm. but given your tumor size and everything, they were, um, they were saying it was to be, okay. uh, is what they were going with. But again, it was kind of some gray area there cause they weren't totally positive on the lymph node thing, but that's what they were going to go with. So, <laughs> yeah. So did they end up doing like other CT scans or bone scans at that point? Yeah. So I, so then I, yeah, I went in that next Friday um, and I have Kaiser, so they call it like a multidisciplinary breast care team. So I went in, um, not the best day looking back. I'm like, that was for sure. Like the worst day of my life. Um, I like went to Kaiser and they, I get it right. Like it's, I'm one in however many and, but they pretty much, I also have a large um, tribe with me. They all wanted to support and be there. And that's amazing. Um, so I get that we were also a little bit overwhelming group <laughs> um, to be showing up. And I'm sure that wasn't their ideal, but um, they pretty much put us all in a room. Um, you know, I'm in my gown and they put on a YouTube video of what breast cancer is. And that was my first like experience. And Wait, it was they show a you with video. the video first. Yeah. And it was like, and I had knew, I knew nothing at this point. I didn't know my state. I didn't know what kind. And I mean, literally I was like, am I dying tomorrow? Am I gonna be fine? Like, I didn't know. And they put on a video and it's like a 65 year old woman going through menopause and breast cancer. And I'm like, okay, well this, I like, this does not relate to me. Like I, it was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the oncologist came in uh, who was not my favorite person. Um, she was pretty cold and again, looking back, I have a lot more experience now where I get that they're not going to like sit and cry with you. And, but she just did not have, there was no warm feelings. There was no, nothing like that. Not great bedside manner. And, um, so they didn't tell me honestly, even that day a ton. Um, 
it was a couple weeks later when I was on like a genetic counselor call that I even found out that I was triple negative. She, my oncologist didn't tell me that in the beginning, oh, Wow. Okay. Um, which maybe she assumed we knew things. I don't know. I knew nothing again. I didn't even know there was kinds of breast cancer. Right. Um, so the only thing she really told me was that it was grade three. So it was aggressive. Um, and that she was a hundred percent, like there was not really a negotiation for there will be chemo, there will be surgery and there will be radiation. Um, and she pretty much was like, you know, given your age, you're, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to be BRCA positive. Um, hmm. And so I met with her, then the surgeon, then the plastic surgeon, then the radiologist all kind of come in back to back. And I met with all them. And pretty much the consensus at the end of that appointment was like, hey, are you ready to schedule your double mastectomy? And I was like, I need a minute. Like, I don't even know what's happening right now. Um, wow. and so we kind of just left that day and just, I mean, kind of devastated. Like we just felt like we had even less answers in a way. Yeah. Um, and thank God, again, I have amazing people who pretty quickly just started advocating, figuring out and, um, called all these different doctors. And I ended up finding a second opinion doctor at Stanford. Um, and we just went to her on like a consultation basis. Um, and it was, amazing to me with her. I mean, I felt like I left that appointment and I walked out. My dad's like, you look so good. And I'm like, well, I feel like I'm not dying now. Like, I feel like I know what's happening. And I feel like I'm, you know, like I have it under control. So she explained everything to me. She broke down what triple negative was, um, what kind of tumor I had. And she actually gave an opinion on a course of treatment based on my specific situation. So not as much of a blanket. Here's what we think, given your age, given this, it was more like, no, this is the kind you have. Here's what I think. And, um, so that was great. I felt like then I understood a lot more about what was happening. And, um, my, I, she actually said, you know, I was at one Kaiser location. She said, switch to this Kaiser location. It's way better. Um, you know, find a team that you trust and like, but you know, you're going to be fine. You're going to be in good hands. But if you didn't like that oncologist, it made you feel bad. Don't go back to her. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was switching. I got it all worked out. Um, and then she actually had recommended, um, I think you had mentioned, we talked about this too, the neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So doing that first, mm-hmm. um, she was actually saying, you know, you don't know if it's going to be genetic and why schedule this huge surgery if you maybe don't need to have this huge surgery. Um, so do the chemo first, buy yourself some time to get your genetic testing done if it comes back negative, you can maybe have a lumpectomy instead. And, um, so we decided to kind of go that route. And so, yeah, I ended up doing a MRI, a PET scan and a CT scan. Um, I think because of that questionable lymph node, they really just wanted to make sure things hadn't spread and all that. Um, so did that luckily all that came back clear other than what we already knew. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did have in the imaging again, the armpit, lymph node. And then I had one in my mammary gland that lit up too, um, which they never biopsied or anything, but so possibly two lymph nodes had it at some point, but again, they were like imaging. We can't say for sure. So, but you bring up two really great points. I kind of want to like dwell on just a little bit because, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've just through conversation, having second opinions is also a touchy subject. I always advocate, like, get as many opinions as you need until you find an oncologist that pretty much is going to be your best friend because this is somebody who is going to be guiding you through all of your treatment plans and is going to be your, like, point of contact for the next, you know, 12, 18 months, et cetera. So it's just interesting because some people, you know, 
have also this perception of, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, right? Like I don't want to have to get a second opinion because I don't know if that's going to change how they're feeling towards me or any sort of like backlash or anything like that. But I just want to let our listeners know too, it's your right to like get as many opinions as possible until you understand the information. And if your first oncologist is not taking the time to answer all of your questions or even giving you an opportunity to ask questions, you know, go out and seek other opinions. And I love that you were able to, you know, have this team behind you with the wherewithal to try and find these consultations elsewhere. So that was, that's critical. Yeah, no, and that's one thing that I've, I've connected with a few different survivors and everything since then. And I'm like, even if you do feel good about your initial, th- you know, I, I still recommend a second opinion. I just feel like having multiple people to confirm that what you're doing is the right thing it, mm-hmm. it is a huge decision. And I felt so much better feeling like, okay, I now have two, you know, different, uh, I mean, they were different insurances, different practices, and they're both, you know, on the same page telling me that I'm doing the right thing. And I felt like so mm-hmm. much better after feeling that instead of just hoping that I'm trusting the right person. And so, um, I mean, even though, like I said, we went outside of insurance stuff, but it was a, you know, one-time thing you pay like $300 and I'm like, it is the best $300 sure. that we spent during it because I can't imagine if we hadn't have found, I mean, I would have totally had a different course of action and the course that I ended up taking worked out so well for me. And I'm like, thank God I like found this other doctor and, you yes. know, she helped me. And so. And what's interesting too about like the tumor cells, like even when you get second and third opinions, I just found this out on an earlier podcast that hasn't debuted just yet, but we were talking to, um, you know, one of our sponsors is an organization called Store My Tumor and they do tumor preservation. And he pretty much like, we spoke for like an hour and a half about, you know, genomic sequencing, sensitivity testing, immunotherapies, and being able to use your tumor cells for like precision precision medicine. And from that conversation, he was telling me about the um, complexities of these tumor cells and how if one doctor is testing your tumor and then you get a second or third opinion and they're testing it, even within the same tumor cells, depending on where they're pulling that data from, you can get different results, right? And so I think that's really important to keep in the back of my mind. That was the first time I heard that because a lot of times you're thinking, okay, I need to exact opinions, but different philosophies definitely weigh into that. And, you know, in your experience really highlights this, right? Like starting off with a double mastectomy versus getting the gene testing done and starting off with the neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So, you know, there's no like right or wrong, but I think it's important to find that fit that you feel comfortable with. Yes. And I feel like once I, you know, had that second opinion, then I ended up switching to, and I found, like you said, like my oncologist became my best friend. Like I like was loved her so much, um, still love her. And so I ended up finding her. So we kind of came up with a plan, um, you know, start chemo first, um, followed by surgery, pending how chemo went, what kind of surgery. Um, and then radiation was pretty much always on the table. I feel like they were never like a thousand percent, but I got the impression, yes, it was happening. Um, and so, and then we were going to do the genetic testing and wait for that. So after my, you know, PET scan and all that stuff came back, um, they're like, okay, we, you know, we want to get this scheduled. And I think it was at this point, probably, I mean, I was diagnosed February 6th. Um, you know, we were probably two weeks later at that point after all that testing and everything had come and I hadn't gotten the genetic testing back yet. Um, so we decided we were going to do, um, chemo first and, because of my age and the kind of chemo I was getting, it was, you know, likelihood of calling, causing infertility. So I decided to do the egg preservation um, fertility treatment first. 
And so I remember asking my, I was like, okay, well, I met with, you know, the fertility thing, of course, is uh, optional. And so it's not covered by insurance. So mm -hmm. I ended up going through Stanford for that because I was like, well, it's not covered by Kaiser anyways. Um, and Stanford had a great kind of quick start kind of program for people in the situation. Um, and so it was nice because I didn't have to like explain everything. I got hooked connected with um, a fertility doctor who was like, oh, I know exactly what kind of cancer you had and, you know, how quickly things need to go. And um, so I had my egg retrieval, I think scheduled for March 3rd. And I was like, okay, so when will I start chemo? And she's like, March 4th. I was like, wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, and she's like, yeah, I know you're, it's aggressive. You know, we don't want to waste any time. Like we need to get started. Um, yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about the egg retrieval process? Like what does that entail? Yeah. Um, so it's lots of ultrasounds, <laughs> um, okay. and pretty much, um, you know, giving hormone shots every day and the behind it basically is to try and speed up the process of, you know, you know, getting your follicles bigger so they can do the egg retrieval surgery. Um, most people I think do it over, you know, three months or so I had about three and a half weeks. Um, and so I was, you know, going a little bit quicker, higher doses, um, going in every two days for ultrasounds to see how things were going. Um, I mean, in the beginning, I couldn't even like see a needle, look at a needle across the room, hated it. And then, you know, you're learning to give yourself shots in the stomach every day. Oh, wow. Which at the time I was like, oh, this is awful. Now I'm like, I'm kind of glad I did that first. It was a very good intro as to like what the way worse stuff that was going to come. Um, okay. So I did that. Um, Were there any side effects from like the shots or anything? No, it was pretty, I didn't notice a ton. Um, I know some people said they get like mood swings or different things. Okay. Um, I didn't notice a huge difference um, doing the shots. Um, I mean, it's a pain more than anything else. You have to do them at like the same time every day. Mm -hmm. um, and like I mentioned, my sister was getting married last year. So we had like her bachelorette party during this. So at like night I'd have to be like, oh, I have to like leave dinner and go back to the house and like do shots not drinking right. shots. <laughs> then I can come back to the bar and right. like drink with you guys. But, um, and so towards the end, um, we were getting close to my scheduled retrieval date and the doctor was like, you know, you're just not going as quickly as I would like. Um, I really think that we should push the date and I think you need more time. I just don't think we're going to, you know, get as many eggs if we do it now. And I remember sitting there and just kind of like, again, I'm a pretty like logical person and I just, and I was like, I know this sounds morbid, but like eggs don't matter if I die. So I'm not delaying chemo. I'm not like, we gave it our best shot and whatever I get, I get. And if it's nothing, it's nothing. And if it's 10, it's 10. Great. But I just remember thinking, no, like I'm not risking this cancer progressing and getting worse. They already told me how aggressive it was. Um, I want to keep it as planned and move on. So we ended up scheduling. She was like, okay, well, I'm going to push it as far as I possibly can. So my first chemo um, was scheduled for March 8th, um, which was the day after my 31st birthday. Um, and so I think chemo is at like 11 a.m. And so my fertility doctor scheduled the egg retrieval for that same day at 6 a.m. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Which I don't recommend. That would be a tip. <laughs> That's a um, lot. Absolutely. Yeah. It's doable, but it's not. Yeah. Now, did you also have a port placement scheduled for that day for the chemotherapy? <laughs> I had the port about a week before. A week before. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and that's really good to know too. I don't know if you have, um, if you were given the choice or not given the choice, um, 
I got my port placed the same day as my chemotherapy. And so I thought that was a little interesting because, you know, you're always told to like, you know, keep your wounds clean and, you know, not infected. And I'm like, but now we're like, I just had the surgery. I got my port placed. And now you're putting like toxic chemotherapy drugs in my body. Like, are we sure? (laughs) I was sore after they put my port in. So I feel like that would like hurt if they had to access it like the same day. (laughs) Yeah, it was, um, I guess it's what my hospital does is standard. They were telling me, um, but I've also talked to a lot of other women who get it done earlier, which I think gives you time to heal. And again, it's just this less overwhelming type of day. I remember being wheeled into um, like the surgery surgery yeah. place where they're placing the port. And I've never had surgery before. I barely like I've never broken a bone or anything. Right. <laughs> so you go in here and I swear it's like watching like ER or something like you have all the lights. Yeah. <laughs> like big crazy lights. And you know, I was ready to get off the gurney and like into the, on the operating table. Yeah. And they're like, nope, just lie down. We'll pick you up. Like these four people come yeah. over and move the sheet over. I'm like, this is really weird. And I remember them like standing in the corner and being like, okay, we have a 30 year old female, like da 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 da. And I was like, whoa. And they're like, okay, go team. And I was right. like, this is like a TV show. <laughs> exactly. They had, I was under anesthesia, but it was kind of like that twilight anesthesia. So you're kind of awake. You couldn't feel I was, like, anything totally awake the whole time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think they gave me something, but I, it was so fast. And I, I remember feeling like, whoa, relaxed, mm-hmm. but I was like a thousand percent like coherent and awake the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. It was very like tranquilized. <laughs> um, and then I think after that, yeah, I was at one point, like starting the twilight and I was like, my whole body just went like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, very relaxed. Yeah. And then I remember waking up from that or just like being more like a week after that and I was sick so the anesthesia made me very nauseous yeah. so right away I'm like I mean gosh like I haven't even started my chemotherapy yet I'm already having a reaction to the anesthesia <laughs> yeah so actually I um I was fine with the port but when I did the egg retrieval surgery um which they do same thing you're not it's not general anesthesia but I was I mean as far as my consciousness like a thousand percent out cold no mm-hmm. recollection. They wheeled me back. They're like, we're going to introduce you to your team before surgery. And I, I don't remember any of that. Like it was, I was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I woke up from the egg retrieval surgery or, um, they pretty much checked my vitals, made sure I was good. And then we left Stanford and went over to Kaiser to start, um, chemo. And I, um, did the cold cap, which we can get into that whole thing. But, um, so we started that and then I was okay through chemo, um, I started with the AC, so it was fairly quick as far as chemo goes, I feel like. It's not one of those, you know, nine-hour ones where you're sitting there. Um, sure. But as it was going, I was feeling worse and worse and worse. And then pretty much as – I remember um, towards the end of it, they um, I was going to have to do the self-injection. I don't even remember what they were called now. Um, shots during – Oh, the Zolodex? I don't was think it? it was – maybe it oh. was Zolodex. So I had Zolodex, which was like a huge one in my stomach. And then there was also um, daily, like New Lesta, I think was another shot that I got like the day after. Yeah. Which is really funny because now I see their like advertisements on TV and I'm like, oh, I was on half of these drugs. (laughs) Um, I can't remember what it was called, but um, Zarxio, Mm. I think is what it was. Um, but it's basically, it's similar to all those, except instead of going and getting one big dose, you're basically giving it to yourself every day and it's to boost white blood cells. Um, and so I remember them coming in to like, talk to me about all that. And I was so out of it at this point that I remember saying like, can you go get 
my roommate in the waiting in the waiting room and tell her all this stuff because I'm not like alive right now. Right. And then as soon as chemo was done, they like unhooked me and I like ran to the bathroom and got sick. And so in my mind, and then we went home the next 24 hours. I mean, I threw up every 20 minutes nonstop. And I thought it was chemo. I was like petrified. I was like, oh my God, this is what this is going to be. This, my roommate, my mom are calling like the infusion center. And they're like, they're like, this is not normal. Like there is no way, like we do not have anyone this sick this quickly from chemo. Like that's not, you know, you're on how many anti-nausea drugs. Sure, and, yep. um, and then we kind of started piecing it together and we are like, oh, it's the anesthesia from egg retrieval yeah. surgery that was making me so sick. So oh. pretty much 24 hours from surgery it had worn off and I was like, functioning again yeah. but but how horrifying right like you're going through all of this it's hard to pinpoint yeah. why like what's causing the nausea and the sickness um about the egg retrieval piece, piece were you in were you sore for a period of time or were you okay afterwards or what was the um I will say who knows if I had just done that and gone home and like rested on the couch for three days <laughs> if it would have been different but i had no cramping, no nothing. Um, I pre- I think I got three eggs, um, which is low for what they want. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, I was like, I'm good with whatever happens and whatever's meant to be. Um, and so, no, I didn't, other than sick from the anesthesia, I had absolutely zero side effects from the egg retrievals. It was, you know, pain-free. I didn't obviously feel anything during surgery and feeling afterwards. Like I said, I didn't even have like a cramp afterwards. Right. Um, Excellent. Again, would that have been different had I not have other things to focus on? I'm not sure, but it was, I mean, very, very easy as far as other than the anesthesia that made me sick. <laughs> Excellent. That's good to know. Um, yeah. This was a topic we haven't yet covered on Breast Cancer Conversations, so I appreciate you taking the time to kind of give like the play-by-play and what people can expect to experience um, yeah. with your experience. Yeah. So during all of this time, do you get your genetic testing back? I got it back, yes. Um, that would have been the end of February. Um, cause I actually, it was funny. I was, it was as I landed for my sister's bachelorette in San Diego is when they called me. Um, and it was negative and I was shocked. I mean, wow. everyone around me had convinced me that it would, that would be that. And it was weird because I remember thinking like, that's, this is such good news. Like I'm happy for my sister and my nephews and my family Absolutely. that now we don't yes. have to worry about this, but it was a small part of me that was felt like that was my reason Mm-hmm. Like, well, this explains why this happened to me at 30. And now I kind of felt like, well, then what the hell? Like, why did right. this happen? At least that was like a very obvious thing of like, why? Um, but overall, obviously it was a great, I was super relieved and happy that I didn't have to worry about that. Oh, that's that. wonderful news. Yes, absolutely. That yeah. recently happened to me too. So when I did, I did just the eight panels of testing. I know okay. people can like choose like. or something. So you got yeah. like the huge, like all of them pretty much like. Yeah, I did like, again, I, that genetic counselor called me and she explained how many they can do. And she's, you know, some people want to know nothing. Some people want to know everything. Um, and I, and she's like, you know, I had to go through counseling. She's like, a lot of it's like, we give you this information. There's nothing we can do. We can't t- test you. We can't screen you. So you're essentially just living with this fear. Um, but I, again, I'm kind of more realist and rational. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just would rather know. I would rather know. And then I can at least look up like, you know, what foods can cut and try and like change yes. my lifestyle mm-hmm. to help. Um, so I just wanted to know as much as I could. Um, so yeah, I did all like 42. That's wonderful. And I think that's a really great point too. Like once you know this information, if you know that you're predisposed to X, Y, and Z type of disease, there's definitely lifestyle habits that you can change yeah. to lower your risks. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a weird yeah, feeling though? 
all mine came back negative so that's good i did have one what do they call it? like variant of unknown significance yes. um which i sometimes think is weird it was within the BRCA gene um it was like a one of my proteins is folded to, i don't know very scientific explanation she gave me but essentially you know means nothing to them at this point i even took my genetic results to my second opinion doctor and verified that she agreed that that unknown significance was actually unknown significance and she agreed um so of course who's to say in 10 15 years if those results change and there is something genetic but as of now yeah that's funny you bring that up so that happened to me also with the BRCA2 gene it came back um with a variance of what did you say the unsignificant unknown significance yes I don't know why I have the hardest time pronouncing that um (laughs) And just the other day, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I got a letter in the mail confirming that it did come back negative. So they were able to collect collect enough data to be able to say 90% of it was negative. And so my genetics counselor, too, was very, like, you know, cognizant of, like, saying we cannot say 100%, but because we have enough information to support 90%, we are treating this as if it were negative. So same thing. I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. And then I'm like, but then why? Yeah. Which, I mean, we'll probably never know anyways, but yeah, I was like, again, this is a good thing, but I remember being like, well, at least that's like, you can kind of feel like, okay, this is why this happened to me and not like something I did, or I don't know. Right. But I mean, what great news too for like your mom and your sisters and like nieces and nephews and family to know like, okay, so yes, this is sporadic, that sucks, it's, you know, a million things can contribute to cancer, but luckily it's not part of the genes where they have to worry about. Caitlin, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through your diagnosis and shedding light on the entire roller coaster that you went through um, having these conversations with your family members, your friends, your best friends, dealing with fertility questions and the necessity of starting chemotherapy so soon because of your aggressive cancer type. I really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you so much and I can't wait for episode number two to come out later this week where you talk to us about cold caps. So for those of you who don't know, cold caps is a tool that people can use to mitigate some of the side effects of using therapy to chemotherapy. So later this week, Caitlin's going to talk to us about her experience using cold caps. I'm so excited for that episode. So feel free to tune back. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do leave a review. And Give us a like and share so your friends know about our podcast Breast Cancer Conversations. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Until next time, keep on thriving.